This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, the top-seeded Jazz and Sixers look to take commanding 3-1 series leads. The Canadiens and Golden Knights open up their Stanley Cup semifinal in Viva Las Vegas. The Nats and Pirates uh, tango in D.C. West Virginia President E. Gordon Gee speaks on the possibility of an expanded uh, college football playoff. And who does an expanded college football playoff benefit the most? All of that and more coming up in the next two hours of the show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another essential work day. Hold on one sec. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. Two Twitter pages. The show page, at WCMD Morning Rush. My page, at Rush Tony C. Facebook page, at WCMD Cumberland Radio. All of those pages free and open to the public. Like them, follow them. At any time, get involved, drop me a line. Got a question, comment, an opinion. You know how it works by now. Taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759. You know how it works, but yet you don't do it. (laughs) Calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shamo. 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app. We upload every show, every day, minus commercials, just for you. You miss any part of any show. Go back and listen to it. If you're out of the listening area, you're out of range, You can listen later on in your car, on a drive home, or relaxing over a nice cool beverage, or whatever. Whatever is convenient for you. It's all there. Just waiting for you. Just check it out. Just download that free Podbean app on your phone or tablet or other such device. And I make no money off of Podbean. That's just the company I use. So I get nothing out of it. Nothing. It's probably why it's free. All right, let's kick off, uh, kick off today's shows and kick off every show with a rock around the region. I want to rock! And we start with Major League Baseball, where the Nationals and Pirates opened up a three-game series last night in D.C., and the Bucks got off to a good start. This ball's hit deep to left field. If it's fair, it's way gone, and Kevin Newman clears the deck with a cannonball in D.C. The call on the Pirates radio network, Newman's solo shot in the second, gave the Bucs an early 1-0 lead. Nats would later take a 2-1 lead. Bucks would tie back up at 2, heading into the bottom of the seventh inning. The 1-0 to Schwarber. Swinging a long drive right field. This one's deep. Way back there and gone. A line drive. Home run for Kyle Schwarber. He has done it again from the leadoff spot. Somebody needs to turn down the crowd mic at Nationals Park. 
Goodness gracious. Anyway, the call right there on the Nationals Radio Network, Kyle Schwarber, his fourth homer in the last three games, also had an RBI single as the Nats take game one of this series 3-2. to two. Pittsburgh has now lost eight straight games. Game two of the series tonight, Tyler Anderson goes for the Bucks. Patrick Corbin for the Nats. Catch the game right here on this very station pregame. At 6.35. Elsewhere in Cleveland, could the Orioles snap their 15-game losing streak on the road? Uh, No. Here again is the 3-2 pitch. Swing and the line shot to deep right field. This is going to short hop the wall. In the score is Hernandez. Ramirez with a sliding RBI double. Tom Hamilton, the call on WTAM in Cleveland. Jose Ramirez drove in two runs following two Baltimore errors as the Indians beat the O's 4-3 to kick off their four-game series, as I mentioned, in Cleveland. After managing just two hits against Tampa on Sunday, the O's got just five hits on Monday, and nobody in the lineup had more. Than one hit. Which is why their road losing streak is now up to 16 games. In high school softball, Oak Glenn entered yesterday's regional final at Kaiser as one of only three unbeaten teams left in West Virginia. Well, now there's two. Charity Wolf hit a walk-off home run in the bottom of the eighth to give Kaiser a 3-2 win and... A 1-0 lead in the best of three series. Wolf also struck out 11 on the hill to pick up the win. Alexis Shoemaker hit her uh, 16th homer of the season, a two-run shot for Kaiser, which is now 28-3. and Oak Glenn drops to 26-1. and Maddie McKay homered and struck out 16 for Oak Glenn, which will host Game 2 today. Here's Kaiser head coach uh, Chris Shoemaker. Just got to try to put the ball in play against her. That's going to be the main thing. I think our pitching and defense will keep us in the game. It's it's probably going to be another game like this, you know. So hopefully it's in our favor. If not, like I say, we can roll back here on Wednesday for deciding game three. Both games, if indeed there is a third game tomorrow, will begin at 4 o'clock. Elsewhere in AAA Region 2, Washington beat Hedgesville uh, 12-0 in five innings to take a 1-0 series lead there. And in Class A Region 2, Petersburg had a 4-1 lead at Clay Battelle when the game was suspended by rain in the fourth inning. It'll be resumed today at 5 o'clock. Speaking of suspended games in high school baseball, Game 1 of the Frankfurt-North Marion series in short gap was suspended after four innings with North Marion ahead 5-3. It will resume today. At 5, in Class A Region 2, Moorfields game with South Harrison will also resume today after being suspended in the fourth inning with Moorfield ahead 2-1. to one. And in AAA Region 2, Jefferson took a 1-0 series lead over Martinsburg with a 7-0 win. And in college soccer, West Virginia announced its men's soccer team will be leaving the Mid-American Conference, the MAC and joining Conference USA in 2022. 
The Mountaineers have been a part of the MAC since 2012 after leaving the Big East. With the move, CUSA will have 10 men's teams, including the defending national champion, Marshall. And that is uh, your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporelli Group. So going back to the Orioles for just a second, I know, as hard as it is, we have to. Mentioned they lost last night in Cleveland. They've now lost 16. Remember earlier in the season, they couldn't win a game at home. They had the worst home record. They still may have the worst home record in baseball. I'm not quite sure. Now they can't win on the road. They've lost 16 straight games on the road. Funny thing is, as bad as they've been, their 16-game road skid isn't even the longest this season or even the longest current streak. The Rangers also lost 16 straight away from home from May 10th to June 11th. And the Diamondbacks, who have the worst record in all of baseball, yes, worse than the Orioles and the Pirates, they have currently lost 20 straight games on the road. The 1963 Mets hold the Major League record, oh, by the way, with 22 straight road losses. The Orioles haven't won a road game since John Means tossed that no-hitter at Seattle on May 5th. (laughs) I mean, it's got to end sooner or later, right? The good news is, wasn't, remember when the Orioles lost, what was it, 14 straight overall just a while ago, weren't they kind of going neck and neck with the Diamondbacks as well for the long, longest current losing streak? I think the Diamondbacks won first. They snapped their streak first. And the Orioles kept on losing. So here they are again. <laughs> not, that you, not that you want to compete with another team for something like this, but here they are again going neck and neck in a losing streak. Now, the Diamondbacks have a slight edge, 20-16. to 16. Now Think about that. Two, two teams, two teams have combined to lose 36 straight road games. That's, that's, that's embarrassing is what that is. That's embarrassing. Like, what do you, how do you even sell this to your fan base? How do you even look a fan base in the eye and say, hey, come out and watch our product? Both of these, both of these teams, these organizations, they, they're, it's, they're garbage, and I'll throw the Pirates in there as well. They're absolute garbage. They're they are embarrassing to have four, a fourteen game losing streak overall at one point in the season, and then now a six. I mean, that's like I, I don't know. And look, I speak from experience. I'm a Pirates fan. So I I know the level of frustration. And look, the Pirates, they lost eight straight overall. So let's just throw them into the mix while we're at it, right? They've lost eight straight. The Orioles have lost 16 straight on the road. The Diamondbacks, 20 straight on the road. That's 36. What is that? 44. That's a 44-game losing streak between those three teams. I know it's different overall losing streak and road losing streak, but still. 
And uh, my son, Little C, brought up a good point, or he asked a good question. He said, if you took the best players from the Orioles and the best players from the Pirates and combined them, would they still be any good? I don't know. They might be able to field a, a decent one through eight if you're in American League one through nine, but their pitching would still be awful when you think about it. If you're trying to combine, if you combine the or that's, that's that's how bad, that's how embarrassingly bad these teams are. If you combine the Orioles and the Pirates, who's your who is your pitching rotation? Who's your starting five? Who who? You, okay, you got you got John Means, right? Who else? Who else you throwing out there for the Orioles? The Pirates don't even have a number one starter. They have they have like five number three starters in in, the, in their rotation. And they want to send me emails, and they want to call me and try to get me to buy tickets? <laughs> Seriously. Would they even be competitive? I'm going to have to do that. Maybe I'll do that for tomorrow's show. Maybe I'll sit down, and I will compile, I will try to put together the best possible lineup combining the Orioles and the Pirates and then try to figure out if they can even be competitive. Could they compete with the Dodgers? Like, could they? Could you put a team together with those two that could compete with the upper echelon? I'm not even, I don't, I don't know. Could they compete for a wild card or, or a division title? Maybe that's an exercise for tomorrow when I can actually go somewhere with good internet and compile a list because you figure with for the Pirates, you got Adam Frazier, right? Adam Frazier. I think he would be in that starting lineup. I mean, he's lead, he leads the major league in hits, right? He would have to be there. Trey Mancini would definitely be on that team, right? I'm just, I'm going off the top of my head here at the moment. Cedric Mullins is having a great year for the O's. Uh, he, he would have to be in that lineup. So I guess that's, okay, that's three pretty good players right now, as they're playing right now. Who else are you taking from the Pirates? Taking Key Brian Hayes, a third baseman. Now you're gonna take. You know he's he's young. He, he's young, but he's a stud. He's a young stud. He wouldn't be too shabby. Again, I, I think I think one through eight. If you combine the Orioles and the Bucks, you could put together a somewhat competitive team. But it's the pitching that would just drive that team off a cliff. I'm convinced of that. All right, maybe I'll do that during the break. Maybe I'll uh, look at it real quick and see if I can put together a decent lineup between the two. Anyway, the point is both teams stink. They're awful. They're terrible. The seasons are over. And we just wait for training camp to start. That's it. Football training camp, right? That's usually the life of a baseball fan. If you're an Orioles fan or a Pirates fan, you just kind of pay attention Kind of, you know, you watch the baseball teams out of the corner of your eye just just, just enough until football season starts. That's usually how it works. As I mentioned before, uh, all, all three teams we follow here are all in last place. So that, <laughs> that makes it really difficult 
to come in here and talk about him on a daily basis. As I mentioned, Game 2, Nats Pirates tonight. Check it out, 635. Uh, Tyler Anderson versus uh, Patrick Corbin, who uh, he's had his issues. Tyler Anderson might make that list. Anderson might make the starting five for that combined team. What would we call them, by the way? If we combine the Pirates and the Orioles, what would that team name be? You remember way, way back in the day, the Eagles and Steelers combined for a year? Because both teams were short because of the war. So they were the Steagles. <laughs> so how, if you're, we're combining the Orioles and and the Pirates, what would we call that team? How about the Porioles? <laughs> the key word there is poor. The Porioles. The P.O.s, the Pirates and the Orioles, the P.O.s, because that's what the fan base is, P.O.'d. So we need a team name, we need a lineup, and we, that's it. That's that's the exercise for the rest of the show and into tomorrow. If you want to get involved, give me a call, 301-759-2628, or leave me something on Twitter, at WCMD Morning Rush, or on Facebook, at WCMD Cumberland Radio. We're trying to put together the best lineup we can, combining the Pirates and the Orioles, the best lineup, the best rotation, and the best team name. And then try to figure out if they could even be competitive, combining two complete Major League rosters, if they can be competitive with the rest of baseball. Because standing alone, both teams stink out loud. Both teams stink in 14 different flavors. It's just all there are 14 different flavors of awful. Could the two teams combined be competitive? I don't know. We'll see. It'd be a fun little uh fun little exercise. All right, time for a break. Got weather coming up. News. And then we'll get into some NBA. Two games on tap last night involving the top seeds, both trying to take. Commanding 3-1 series leads. Could either one of them do it? We'll find out next. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. I can't get on vacation fast enough. I, I just can't. I can't. Cannot get on vacation fast enough. You know, yesterday's show was a disaster because I lost all 21 of my audio clips when the system went down. Technical difficulties, if you will. And I found that out right as the show started, right? I mean, if you listened yesterday, you knew I went to play some audio clips and they were the wrong clips because the ones I was going for yesterday didn't load properly into the system. So yesterday, I was just kind of flying by the seat of my pants without the audio clips to kind of you know, tie the show together. That has been remedied. But then, as soon as we go to break, as soon as we go to break, my laptop goes black. It just, it just dies. And so I try to restart it, and now... It's doing this startup repair thing. 
says your computer was unable to start. Startup repair is checking your system for problems. And now it's just got this thing, just scroll bar going, just all my stuff is on my, all my stuff's on my laptop. All my notes, everything for the podcast, everything is on this laptop, which I don't have anymore at the moment. So now I got to do a show for the second straight day, flying by the seat of my pants because I don't have my notes in front of me. Had no audio yesterday, right? I had notes, but no audio. Today I have audio, but no notes. This has been the longest week of my life, and it's only 6.33 on a Tuesday morning. Such is my life. But I move on. Uh, until this laptop gets fixed, or doesn't, or whatever, uh, let's, just, let's just try to move on here, right? What did I say yesterday? What did I say yesterday? Life, life's going to throw you some curveballs, right? Life is unexpected. You can't predict life. And so you either adjust or you strike out, right? I adjusted yesterday. I survived it. So now I got to adjust again today. So let's uh, continue on with this noteless uh, show. (laughs) (sighs) NBA last night, two games on tap, both involving uh, the top seeds in each conference. Jazz in the West, Sixers in the East, both looking to take commanding 3-1 series leads. Both failed. (laughs) We'll start out West, the Jazz and the Clips, game four, and early on, look, 20 seconds into the game, Boyan Bogdanovich threw down a dunk to give Utah a 2-0 lead, right? Not only... Was that their biggest lead of the game? It was their only lead of the game. Five to shoot for Kawhi. In and out. Step back straight away. Three. Kawhi Leonard connects. 17 points for the claw, and it's 58-34 LA. The call on AM570 LA Sports. Clips just blowing the doors off of Utah early on. Uh, Kawhi would throw down a, a dunk. He posterized somebody. I can't remember who. It was uh, Derek Favors. Just posterized him with a monster dunk. That gave the Clips a 62-38 lead just before the half. They led at the half 68-44. And at one point in the fourth quarter, it was 105-85, to 30-point lead. Utah went on a little bit of a run. To kind of close the gap. But then the other half of the Clips dynamic duo uh, stepped up. George on O'Neal. Driving down the right alley. George to the rim. Puts it up. Fakes it in with a right hand. PT 13. Another clutch bucket. And the Clippers lead 112-99. George has 27. 118-104 was the final. Clips win. They even a series at two games apiece. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, each with 31 points. They were, and again, I'm trying to find this now because my notes are gone, so bear with me. I do believe that I saw, yes, here it is. They are the fifth duo, the fifth set of teammates since the merger 
with 30 points each in back-to-back playoff games. They're the first Clippers duo to ever do it. And they're not that, you know, the Clippers have an illustrious, you know, playoff history. But they're the first uh, pair of Clippers teammates to ever score back-to-back 30 points uh, games in the playoffs. Donovan Mitchell had 37 for Utah. He's the first player since Steph Curry, uh, what was it, back in 2019, to have six straight 30-point games in the playoffs. Here is Kawhi, who he kind of got touched up a bit, dinged up a bit late in that game. Here he is after the victory. How hard was it for you to be on the bench at that point, and what did you see from your team to close this thing out? Uh, They did a great job uh, making shots, uh, getting stops uh, when we needed to. Um, You know, they're uh, number one in the NBA for a reason, the Jazz team. uh, They're not going to give up. They're going to keep fighting the whole 48 minutes. You guys won this thing, really, in that first quarter. You outscored them 30-13. to Defensively, what was the key there, Kawhi? Uh, just everybody helping each other, making sure that we get, in, get into the closeouts, don't get straight line drive, contest jump shots, and obviously getting a rebound. In game three, 65 points between you and Paul George. Tonight, another 62. What have you guys unlocked here offensively? Um, just, just being aggressive. Being aggressive. Um, our teammates finding us uh, open shots. We're just shooting the ball with confidence. And, um, yeah, that's it. We're just going out here just trying to play hard, trying to win the basketball game. Game five, the pivotal game five, tomorrow night in Utah. Uh, PG-13 and Kawhi, they have each scored at least 20 points in all 11 games this postseason. Just a third duo in NBA history to do that in a team's first 11 playoff games. The other two duos, the other pair of pairs, both with the Lakers. Shaq and Kobe in 2003, Jerry West and Elgin Baylor uh, way back in uh, 1962. So the Clips avoid the three-run hole, and they survive uh, to tie the series at two games apiece. In the Eastern Conference, the Hawks were trying to do the same thing, tie their Sixers up at two games apiece, but it did not look good early for Atlanta. Touch pass inside, tipped in the air. Fiebel chased it down. Ends up in the hands of Seth Curry. Late clock three is buried. Philadelphia hitting seven of nine from distance here in game four, and they're burying the Hawks 60-42. to 42. That was the call on ESPN Radio. A Sixers would jump out to an 18-point lead, but that didn't last. Dribble handoff to Herter at the top, fakes a three, goes to Bogdanovich, left side three's good. Atlanta's come all the way back, down 18. They've got the lead early in the fourth. Game went back and forth in the fourth quarter. Hawks had a one-point lead late, had a chance to increase that lead, threw the ball out of bounds. Sixers got it back. They couldn't connect. Hawks get it back. They hit a pair of free throws. Now they lead by three. Sixers have the ball and a chance to tie in the final seconds. Milton at the top, looking to pass, finds Curry, contested three at the horn. No good! The Atlanta Hawks come back from 18 down. They win at home, and they've evened the series with the top-seeded 76ers at two games apiece. 103-100 the final. The Hawks tie the series. Trey Young had zero points in the first quarter. And still finished with 25 points. 
to lead the Hawks. Joel Embiid, kind of the opposite. He was big early. He was on early. Then he went 0 for 12 in the second half. Didn't hit a single field goal in the second half of the game, which allowed, in part, the Hawks to get back into the game, eventually win the game, and tie the series at two games apiece. With a recap of the game, the guys who called it on ESPN Radio, Mark Kessischer and uh, John Barry. The Atlanta Hawks down 18 points, JB, come back to even this series at two. How did they get back into this ballgame? Well, I thought it started with uh, the way Philly came out in that third quarter, a 13-point lead, and uh, very lackadaisical. I didn't like their disposition at all. Uh, A lot of jump shots, a couple of sloppy turnovers. Uh, Atlanta got it going. Defensively, there wasn't the same focus. Uh, Atlanta exploited the paint, which they didn't in that first half. And uh, they they allowed a team to to just get some life and get some belief. And uh, hustle plays, I mean, all Atlanta. 21 uh, second-chance points uh, for Atlanta. We we saw John Collins get a ball from Joel Embiid's hands on a rebound and go up and slam it on the same move. Uh, He wanted it more uh, than the big fellows uh, from Philadelphia. And uh, speaking of Joel Embiid, uh, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if that knee was really bothering him tonight because uh, he, he didn't have any explosiveness around the rim. He didn't playing the paint near enough. He did it a little bit in the second quarter where he really dominated, uh, but settling for jump shots, uh, had a wide-open layup late in that ballgame to take a one-point lead and didn't even draw iron. Uh, Ben Simmons, a near triple-double at the half, uh, and he doesn't even get it. He had, uh, what, three points, two assists, and one rebound in the second half. Uh, He was a big part of the first half, getting that big lead. So, uh, Philadelphia's got to be kicking themselves. And, and, I mean, you look at the Milwaukee-Brooklyn series, and it's 2-2, right? And you think of how fragile a game can be. How big is a game in the NBA playoffs? What what if Embiid is to go out in the next game? You could find yourself down 3-2 coming back to Atlanta. Uh, so you never want to force yourself to play another game, uh, and Philly has done that. So uh, their hands are full. And uh, let credit Atlanta didn't give, down, give, didn't give up down 18 points. They took... 15 more field goal attempts because of those offensive rebounds and their lack of turnovers. So credit them for taking care of the ball, getting after it on the offensive glass, and grinding one out when you shoot 36% from the field. You asked me during the broadcast, uh, uh, 0 for 12 and a half, how often do you see that? And I said, I don't think I've ever seen it in a long time. Well, Embiid's 0 for 12 in the second half. Tied for the most attempts without a make in a half over the last 25 seasons, regular season or playoffs. Wow. It was that bad. He had four free throws in the second half. You mentioned the three points for Ben Simmons. Not enough. Philadelphia coughs away an 18-point lead, and the Atlanta Hawks have even the series. Game five set for Philadelphia on Wednesday night. Final score, the Hawks rally beat the Sixers 103-100. to So there you go, the pivotal game five. Uh, tomorrow in Philly. And now the question is, how much is that injury affecting Joel Embiid? It really didn't affect him early on in the series, but it kind of did last night, especially in the second half. We'll talk about that next. And another team facing even bigger injuries, the Nets. Could they have Kyrie tonight? Could they have Harden? Both? Neither? Stick around, WCMD. 
This is the Morning Rush. Talking NBA playoffs, the Clippers and the Hawks get much-needed wins last night to tie up their respective series at two games apiece. We were talking about uh, the Sixers and the Hawks game, and Joel Embiid, definitely affected by that torn meniscus last night, had 17 points, 21 boards, a lot of that in the first half, went 0 for 12 from the field in the second half. There is one particular play very, very late on a pick and roll. He had a chance to give the Sixers a lead. He couldn't get off the floor. Uh, uh, a play where he would usually just throw it down or is an easy layup conversion. He just he couldn't he couldn't finish it. Obviously affected by that knee. And there's also uh, some reports starting to roll that Trey Young is hurt, that he busted up his shoulder uh, in Game Three. So the two big stars. For the Sixers and the Hawks, dealing with some injuries, uh, last night Dave McMiniman was on uh, SportsCenter. In the first half, he had to go back for evaluation. He's been dealing with a torn meniscus in his right knee. He was asked how he's feeling. He said, there's no explanation. You know what it is. I'm dealing with this knee. As for the play where he went 0 for 12 after being 0 for 11 with eight seconds left, getting a great look at the rim off the pick and roll, he said, normally I would have dunked that, but I have no lift right now. I'm trying to do my best out there. He said he felt like he was probably fouled on the play, but he said he's got to be better moving forward to game five. He was dominant through the first three games, 35 points a night, 10 rebounds a night. Tonight, he was not that same type of player, but Tobias Harris said, let's not forget what he was doing for us defensively. We still needed him out there tonight. And on the Hawks' side, uh, they turned it over just four times. That's the fewest ever in a playoff game in franchise history, and that gets us to Trey Young. Uh, outstanding game. Youngest player in NBA history to have a 25-point uh, game with 18 assists, but all the talk is about what he had on his shoulder. There was this giant shoulder wrap while on the bench. What does the, uh, the, the word on the shooting shoulder afterward? A source close to Young tells me that it's sometime during game three, he's not sure exactly when, he bumped the shoulder, felt some dis- discomfort. It tightened up on him overnight. He felt it all day leading up to tonight's game. In pregame war- warm-ups, he felt like he couldn't hit. And you saw that in the first quarter when he goes 0 for 5 and misses two free throws. But he just kept grinding at it, trying to push through it. He felt like the, the Hawks' defense saved the day. And he said he was proud of this group because they didn't have any give up in them. He goes 8 for 26 from the field, but those 18 assists will probably make this one of the most noteworthy performance uh, of Trey Young's young career so far. So something to keep an eye on tomorrow in that pivotal Game 5, how the injuries affect Embiid and Young uh, in Philly. Tonight, a team dealing with two of their three big superstars uh, injured the Nets who suddenly, after like they were going to cruise over the Bucks, they're in trouble. The Bucks have won the last two. The series is tied 2-2. James, you know, Kyrie got hurt last game. James Harden was already out. What about tonight's game? Here is Adrian Wojnarowski. Woj! Well, he left the arena last night uh, on crutches with a boot on that right ankle, and the Nets have to prepare at this point for the possibility that he won't be able to play again in this series. Certainly, Game 6 is going to be an elimination game for someone he has ruled out of Game 5, uh, but this was uh, this is an injury that the Nets 
you know, are going to uh, treat around the clock, uh, try to get Kyrie Irving back. But right now, you know, it is unclear to them whether he can play again in this series. He's certainly ruled out for game five. After game two, it looked like no James Harden, no problem. But alas, the Bucks have tied up the series at two. So when could we potentially see Harden return from that hammy injury? Well, Steve Nash said that James Harden was working out today, uh, you know, testing that uh, hamstring injury. You know, there was hope that he could return in this series. It looked for a while like the Nets may not need him. They had the 2-0 lead. They were very close to a 3-0 lead in this series uh, before all of a sudden they find themselves at two. You know, the one thing you know about James Harden, and it's been the case earlier this season when he had the hamstring injury, is he's wanted to play through those injuries. He's wanted to be on the court. The team very often has had to save him from himself and certainly, you know, try to avoid longer-term injuries. But, you know, the urgency is there in a game five uh, to get him back on the court. You know, but the Nets say that they're going to act independent of the Kyrie Irving injury. They want to know that James Harden is healthy before he's back on, but he's certainly much closer to a return than Kyrie Irving. So there you go. The Nets suddenly backs against the ropes. No Kyrie tonight. He's out. James Harden still out. So it's Kevin Durant and the rest of the Nets. No offense to the rest of the Nets, but KD's going to have to do it himself tonight against a Bucs team that looked dead in the water after two games. Now they might be favored to win the series because two of the Nets' big three can't play. Could see Harden in game six. By the sounds of it, Kyrie might be done until the conference finals, if the Nets even get that far. What a turn of events in that series. All right, hour number one done. Hour number two, what else? Coming up next, stick around, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Tony C., remarkably, incredibly, amazingly, still in the big chair. (laughs) Live from the palatial WCMD studio, high atop Industrial Boulevard, on the south side of the Queen City, baby. It is. It's remarkable. It's incredible that I haven't just walked out of here by now. It's got nothing to do with the job. It's all technical. It's all technical. Technology has been my enemy the past two days. Yesterday was a mess because I didn't have any audio clips for the entire show because there is a system issue in the building. Today, 20 minutes into the show, my laptop, which has everything on it, it just goes black. My notes, and when I say everything, listen to me here. I mean, not just work stuff. But home stuff, I can't tell you the amount of pictures I have on his laptop. Vacation pictures, my son's graduation pictures from a couple weeks ago. Like a lot of us, a lot of our, it's it's on here. And it's it just upped and absolutely went belly up. Tried to restart it. 
I get this startup repair thing. And it says, uh, your computer was unable to start. Startup repair is checking. Now it's trying to, it's trying to restart from like a, a, a previous backup or whatever. And it's been doing this. It's been attempting repairs. And there's just this line going across the screen over and over and over. And it's been doing this for 40 minutes. And I have no idea. And, and the longer this goes, the more upset that I get. Like, I am just praying, hoping and praying that this thing comes back on. Or else I lose every, I lose a ton of stuff. Stuff that it would be impossible for me to replace. Like, I, I seriously cannot believe this has happened. Technology. While makes the world go round. But when it doesn't, when technology goes bad, boy, it's just the inconvenience. And we take it for granted. We take it for granted that our phones are all our cell phones, which we never go anywhere without anymore. They're always going to work, right? We are we become so reliant and dependent on technology. That when it goes wrong, everything just, it just falls apart. I am literally falling apart the last day and a half. You know, my goal is to put on a good show. I try to do it every, I try to do it every single day. And it's not like, and here's the kicker. It's not like these things are happening beforehand. It's not like I have an opportunity to prepare. Like both of these issues, yesterday's and today's, Literally happened during the show, as I was doing the show, on the fly. That's what really stinks. But again, it's my problem. Nobody else's. Nobody gives a rip. So let's just let's just move on. Several ways to get involved on the show. I don't need notes for this because I've said it over and over again. Yeah, I can re- recite these in my sleep. Two Twitter pages at WCMD Morning Rush. Which I can't get to anyway. I guess I could could through my phone, right? And uh, at Rush Tony C. Our Facebook page at WCMD Cumberland Radio. All three of those pages free and open to the public. Like them, follow them, and drop me a line whenever you want. You want to just say, hey, say, hey. You got a question, comment, an opinion. You want to chime in on anything. Get involved on the show. Several opportunities to do so. Rush line is open, 301-759-2628. I'm assuming that still works, 301-759-2628. And (laughs) our podcast page on the free Podbean app, where hopefully I'll be able to upload today's show along with every other show that I have, because all my information for the free Podbean app is guess where? It's on my laptop. So if I can get it up today, the podcast page that is, and you want to go check it out. So for instance, if you missed the first hour of the show, I, of course, complained about my laptop going, you know, kaput. But we talked about, which we'll talk about here shortly, the Orioles and the Pirates losing again. The Nationals didn't lose because they paid the Pirates. So that was... (laughs) They had that going for him, which was nice. And we talked about if we could combine 
the Orioles and the Pirates roster. Like, take the best players from each team. Could we even field a competitive team? Because I think the pitching would still stink. Even if we combined the best pitchers from each team, it would still stink. Which would hurt their opportunity to be competitive. Talk NBA playoffs last hour. The Clippers and the Hawks getting much-needed wins in their respective series, their conference semifinals. Clippers beat the Jazz. Hawks beat the Sixers. Those two series now tied at a game apiece, or I'm sorry, two games apiece. And then tonight, it's the Nets and the Bucks, a pivotal game five. The Nets, no Kyrie Irving, no James Harden. Both out for tonight's game. And in a series that looked all but over after the first two games, when the Nets beat the Bucks by 39 in game two, the Bucks win the next two at home. And now they face a Nets team in Brooklyn tonight without two of their big three. That series has turned a complete 180. So all that was discussed in the first hour. You can go back and listen. I just basically told you what we talked about. But you listen, listen to the whole thing on the uh, the free Podbean app. So there you go. All right. let's. Uh, I almost don't want to do this. But I have to. <laughs> let's rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And I told you the Nats and the Pirates uh, played last night, the first game of their three-game series in D.C. Pirates trying to snap a seven-game losing streak, and uh, they get off to a good start early. This ball's hit deep to left field. If it's fair, it's way gone, and Kevin Newman clears the deck with a cannonball in D.C. Call on the Pirates radio network. Uh, Newman's solo shot in the second gave the Bucs a 1-0 lead. Nats would take a 2-1 lead. Pirates would later tie it up, and it would be 2-2 going into the bottom of the seventh. The 1-0 to Schwarber. Swinging a long drive right field. This one's deep. Way back there and gone. A line drive. One run for Kyle Schwarber. He has done it again from the leadoff spot. Home run number 13. Nationals back in front. Two here in the seventh inning. Dave Jagler, the call on the Nationals radio network. Kyle Schwarber, his fourth homer in the last three games, also had an RBI single as the Nats take the first game of the series, 3-2. to two. Pirates have now lost eight straight games. And I just uh, retweeted this not too long ago. They are now on pace to lose 105 games which would be the third most losses by the organization in their 133 years of playing professional baseball. The Pirates are on pace for the third worst record in franchise history. So there you go. (laughs) They got that going for them. Game two uh, tonight in D.C., Tyler Anderson goes uh, for the Pirates. Patrick Corbin goes for Washington. Catch the game right here, a pregame at 635. Elsewhere in Cleveland, could the Orioles snap their 15-game road losing streak? Ah, no. Here again is the 3-2 pitch. Swing and the line shot to deep right field. This is going to short hop the wall. In the score is Hernandez. Ramirez with a sliding RBI double. 
Tom Hamilton, the call on WTAM. Jose Ramirez, uh, two runs batted in following two Baltimore errors. And uh, the Indians win the game. I do believe it was 4-3. Let me check it here. Yes, it was 4-3. To hand the O's their 16th straight loss on the road. After getting just two hits against Tampa on Sunday, Baltimore had just five hits yesterday. Nobody in the lineup had more than one hit, which is a big reason why they've lost 16 straight games on the road. Game two of the series uh, tonight. And we talked about this in the first hour. As bad as this road losing streak is for the Orioles, it's not even the longest road losing streak of the season. It's not even the longest current road losing streak. The Rangers lost 16 straight road games uh, from mid-May to mid-June. The Diamondbacks are currently on a 20-game road losing streak. So as bad as it is for the O's, hey, uh, you could be the Diamondbacks, which actually you're, you're almost, you're pretty close to it. In high school softball, Oak Glen entered its uh, regional final series with Kaiser as one of only three undefeated teams left in West Virginia. Well, it's down to two. Because Kaiser beat Oak Glen, Charity Wolf, a walk-off home run in the bottom of the eighth inning to give the Golden Tornado a 3-2 win and a 1-0 lead in the best-of-three series. Wolf also picked up the win on the mound. She struck out 11. Alexis Shoemaker had a two-run homer, her 16th dinger of the season for Kaiser, which is now 28-3. Maddie McKay homered and struck out 16 for Oak Glen. Game two is today at Oak Glen, 4 o'clock. Here's Kaiser head coach uh, Chris Shoemaker. Just got to try to put the ball in play against her. That's going to be the main thing. I think our pitching and defense will keep us in the game. It's, it's probably going to be another game like this, you know, so... Hopefully it's in our favor. If not, like I say, we can roll back here on Wednesday for deciding game three. Like I said, game two today, four o'clock. Game three tomorrow, if necessary, also four o'clock. Speaking of suspended games in high school baseball, the Frankfurt North Marion series got underway yesterday in short gap. That game suspended after four innings, uh, North Marion leading five to three. Uh, They'll resume uh, that game today. There are other suspensions. I'm trying again, bear with me. It's off the top of my head because my notes are gone. My laptop is shot this morning. Moorefield and South Harrison baseball also suspended after four innings, with Moorefield leading that game uh, two to one. And in softball, Petersburg, were they at Clay Battelle? Yes, they're on the road at Clay Battelle. That game suspended in the fourth inning with Petersburg a four to one lead. See, my memory isn't as bad as it usually is. I mean, it's not as bad as it sometimes is. Let's put it that way. I can go back and check. I'll check later. I'm. It's not. I'm pretty sure all those are right. Again, I'm just going off of what I put together, put on paper earlier this morning. So, still got something up there, folks. Still got a little. Every now and then I have a senior moment, but every now and then, sharp as a tack, baby. Sharp as a tack. 
And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you uh, by the Caporelli Group. Oh, oh, here we go. Stunning update here. My laptop, it's, it's, it's trying to recover. It's trying to recover right now. It's no longer doing the little repair screen. It's actually prompting me for, like, oh, it's prompting me for a password. I don't know what my password is. Anyway. <laughs> it was my laptop password. I don't even have one. That's beside the point. Uh, we talked about this uh, earlier last week. The College Football Playoff Management Committee will be meeting uh, later this week to vote on the proposed expansion of the college football playoff from four teams to 12 teams because, you know, no need to go from four to eight. We just, just jump right to 12. And they are meeting. Where are they meeting? Is it in Texas? I want to say Texas. I'm not quite sure, though. Their meeting, I do believe, it is uh, it's the 22nd, which actually that would be that would be next week, right? Not this week, next week. Anyway, they're going to meet to vote on whether they're going to expand sometime in the next few years from four to 12 teams. West Virginia President E. Gordon Gee is actually on that management committee. So he will be involved in deciding whether the CFP gets expanded or not. Now, when he was with Ohio State, he was dead set against the college football playoff expanding. Now he's definitely had a change of heart. He was on with Hoppy Kirchival yesterday on a talk line right here on this very station here from 10 until noon. Here is a clip, a snippet, a part. As soon as I can find it. Hold on. Give me a second. I know it's here somewhere. Here it is. Here is a part of that. It's about five minutes long. A part of that interview, Hoppy Kirchival uh, talking about the possible expansion of the CFP with West Virginia President E. Gordon Gee. You are a member of the College Football Board of Managers, uh, which will have a say on June 22nd when you meet in Dallas whether or not to approve this expanded playoff from four teams to 12 teams. There's a couple other hoops that has to go through before then, but eventually it will come before the managers, including you, representing the Big 12. At this stage, are you for or against the expansion? Oh, you know, there's a lot of irony about this, uh, my friend, because uh, uh, in one of my more infamous quotes, uh, way back when they were thinking about a college football playoff, I said they'd have to wrestle a college football playoff out of my cold, dead hands. And now here I am uh, on this on this committee, and I am fully in favor of it. In fact, I, I've been very enthusiastic about it because I think that it is good for college football. I, if we're going to have a playoff, then let's do something right. And I think the four-team playoff, uh, uh, you know, just did not serve the best interest of college football. So at one time you were dead set against a playoff. What changed? I, well, uh, I lost. <laughs> I lost the battle, so, so, I, so I joined the forces of evil. Here we are. Well, why? I mean, what do you mean you lost? Oh, well, you know, I, I, I was at I was at uh, I was at Ohio State at the time, and uh, and there was a lot of discussion about whether there should be a playoff, and I just I I, I voiced my concerns publicly about um, about the fact that I thought a playoff would uh, would harm college football. Well, you know, I lost, and I was wrong, also. So I. You know, which is not the first time. 
WVU President Igor Nguy is with us. So d- d- it, now you're in support of it because you lost or because I'm, you had a change of no. heart or a change of mind or you see it differently now or what? Yeah, I think that college football has changed rather dramatically over. I think college athletics has changed rather dramatically over the last period of time. Uh, you know, as we've as we have developed these notions of power conferences, as the NCAA has had a lot of uh, challenges, as we have uh, been losing fan support, a variety of other things. I think that uh, you know, as with everything in life. Um, uh, we're in a fast-forward world right now, and I think that this is probably the best the, the best uh, solution to um, to creating a more interest in college athletics, um, and that's that's something that I think is very important. Mr. President, why go to twelve? Why not go to eight and see how that works? And and then if that uh, if there's interest, yeah. then go to twelve. I mean, why go directly to twelve? Yeah. Well, they you know they they came up with sixty permutations. About this, this is not uh, the, the the subcommittee. Bob Boltzby, uh, Greg Sankey, at all. They 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 thought they had about sixty permutations. I kept very close tabs on this because I know that uh, they did think about six, they did think about eight, but finally twelve. And the reason is is the fact that you know we have the Power Five conferences, and then we have the Group of Five, right. and we wanted to make certain that. Um, that uh, uh, we could get as many people on board without a lot of rancor. And secondly of all, um, one of the things that was most persuasive to me is that, um, uh, as you know, uh, when you get closer to the, to, to the end of the season, it really is, is uh, only a few teams are really in the hunt uh, for uh, being able to be included in that four-team scenario. With 12 teams, if you take a look at it, um, there could be upwards of 30 to 40 teams that could still be in the hunt in October and November. And that, of course, increases the possibility of, of uh, college football having more fan support, but also of making it more interesting and more exciting and more competitive. And it keeps, uh, I think, our student-athletes, uh, um, gives them a, a greater shot at having an opportunity to in the postseason. Mr. President, these are still uh, student-athletes, we like to believe, yep. and they still go to school, yep. and they still are trying to earn yep. a degree. Do you have any concerns yep. at all about the fact that you'll have some of these young men who are playing 14, 15, 16 games in a, in a season? A- absolutely. I, I think that's one of the things that we've looked very carefully at, and uh, and uh, we will be talking about that uh, in, uh, well, it's, it's a week from tomorrow in which we will ha- be having our meeting. We'll be talking about that. But again, as I say, the, the, the subcommittee has worked very hard to, to decrease the amount of, um, the amount of, uh, of, of conflict that we're going to have with the academic, uh, with the academic uh, uh, calendar. And I think that that, that obviously is very important. The, the board of managers are made up of uh, of college presidents, so that's going to be a very critical conversation that we have. So there you go. West Virginia President E. Gordon Gee on with uh, Hoppy Kirchival yesterday on uh, Talkline. Again, uh, catch Hoppy every day here, every weekday here, uh, from 10 until noon after Amanda's show, Tri-State Today. And, of course, he said a week from tomorrow, meaning today. So they will meet a week from today, uh, the 22nd. And, you know, when this news first broke, we discussed it, how it's going to shake down. If they expand to 12, top four teams, 
get a bye, five will play 12, or six will play 11, and on, on, and on. And it looked like initially one team, not necessarily left out in the cold, but as they always have, will be under a different set of rules, and that's Notre Dame. Because since they're not part of a conference, they can't, they won't be allowed to be in the top four. All right. They won't be allowed to be in the top four because they don't belong. They can't play in the conference title game. They can't be a conference champion. So the highest they could ever finish is fifth. And that's it. Because they're not in the conference. And you thought, boy, that's that's kind of, you know kind of bad for them because they'll never be able to get in the top four. But Heather Dennett says, you know what, it might not be that crazy after all. Notre Dame, while everybody else is playing in those grueling conference championship games, they're at home. They're resting like they always do. So even though they don't get the first round by because they can't win a conference champion, they still have chance to rest. And then they do play in that first round. And in that first round, They've got a home game. I mean, that's a terrific advantage. So I think that's one of those things where time will tell whether or not if it's really a dagger that people initially made it out to be for the Irish. And that is a tremendous point that I never thought of and that a lot of people didn't think of, that they do get a first-round bye. It's just a week earlier. So while the Big 12 and the ACC and the Pac-12 and the Big 10 and the SEC, while they're playing their conference title games, Notre Dame's not playing anybody. They're sitting at home. They're off. So they kind of do get it. Now, don't get me wrong. Everybody else is. But they get that week off, and then their very first game, if they finish you know, in the five spot, will be at home. So it might not. Now, look, I think you still want to be in that top four. I don't think you want to be, you know, fifth every single, not that Notre Dame will be, but I'm just saying the highest they can finish is fifth. But they're guaranteed a week off when the conference championships are being played. If they finish that fifth spot, they're guaranteed that first game at home against the 12. So, again, the situation might not be as bad as we originally thought for Notre Dame. Uh, Heather talked more about who else Uh, the college football playoff expansion would help. We're talking about the six highest-ranked conference champions. There's only five Power Five conference champions. So even if you have Big 12, ACC, SEC, Big 10, if you have all of them, you still have another spot. And we're not even guaranteeing that all Power Five conference champions get in. The language is specific, and it's the highest ranked conference champions. That's why the selection committee's role will still be important because if you look at last year, Oregon, the Pac-12 champ at number 25, you're out of luck. I'm sorry, Greeny, but if you have a three-loss Northwestern beating Ohio State and Northwestern is ranked 24th, you're out of luck. That makes it really interesting. I mean, can you imagine as much stock we put in to the Power 5 conferences, can you imagine a team winning a Power 5 title and not getting in. Not, not, there's 12 teams. If it expands to 12 teams, can you imagine winning the Pac-12 or the ACC or whatever and not being one of the 12? That's where the rankings will still be important. That's why it's key 
when they when they first made this proposal that there's no automatic bids, which was originally thought, hey, if they're going to expand to eight or twelve or whatever, that it was just going to be, oh yeah, no doubt that the Power Five champs automatically get in. Not won't be the case. And for me, I love it. I love it. I love because it, it avoids a situation where we talked about last week. The one year Pitt played Clemson in the ACC title game. Pitt was seven and five. If Pitt would have won that game, let's say in, in the expansion era, the new expansion, they would be in the in the top twelve. They would be in the expanded playoff with a seven and five record. Is that what you really want? Is that what you really want? I don't think so. I don't think so. So I like the fact that there's no automatic bids like the NCAA basketball tournament. And again, the vote is uh, a, day, a week from today. That management committee gets together, hash it out. I'm telling you right now, I would think it would take a miracle for them not to pass this expansion. Some more games, some more exposure, which means more money. And that's always the bottom line when it comes to college athletics. All right, stick around. News and weather coming up next. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. We have a laptop update. My laptop, which went... Well, see, there you go. That is disappointing. My laptop went belly up in the first hour. It just went absolutely black. Tried to restart it. Couldn't restart it. I had thought that I was restoring it. It gave me the opportunity to do a system restore from a point Saturday. And now, seriously, as I started talking about it, it says system restore did not complete successfully. System restore failed while copying the register. I don't even know what this stuff means. So the restore point from Saturday didn't work. So... I don't know where to go from here. I'm just, I'm at a loss. Everything, that is everything, is on my laptop. It's just, it's, just it, it's, it's, it's almost like it's gone. It's my fault. It's my fault because I'm an idiot. That's what I'll be told anyway. I got a brand new laptop at the house. Been meaning for a while to get everything switched over, get moved over, and start using the new, the new lap. And I didn't because I'm like, you know, I, I just, I guess, set my ways. I like this old laptop. It's been good to me until today. If I lose everything on this laptop, I, I'm telling you, I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to lose it. I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose it. Mentally, I'm going to lose it. Uh, tell you what I did last night. The wife and I finished up uh, that show on HBO, Mayor of Easttown. Wow. Wow. Let me tell you something. If you have the opportunity, if you have the means, if you have the chance to check out Mayor of Easttown, do it. If you like the the murder mysteries, if you like the dramas like that, the whodunits, you got to watch it. Kate Winslet, oh, by the way, is fantastic in this show. It's only, it's it's a short it's only seven episodes long. It's a short series. 
I'm not going to spoil it for you. I'm not going to tell you the ending of it. But it threw me for a loop. And it was just, it was great. So if you have an opportunity, Mayor of Easttown, M-A-R-E, check it out. Ah, Stanley Cup playoffs last night, game one of one of the semifinals. The Canadiens and Golden Knights hooking up uh, in Vegas. I want to call it the Western Conference Finals, but it's not technically the West. It feels like it. Because remember, the divisions were all moved around this year because of the pandemic, so there was an all-Canadian, the North Division. Montreal is usually in the East, so it's kind of weird that, that Montreal and Vegas, that they're meeting in the, the semifinals. But anyway, uh, game one uh, last night in Vegas. Giselle Vegas pulled away from the Avalanche. That coming cross. Tuck puts it toward the goal, and it's tipped in at the back door. Matthias Yenmark waiting for it at the left post. And the Knights lead 3-1. to one. Call, right there. Call right there on Fox Sports 98.9. That's twice today. We've had a clip where... The crowd mic was much louder than the play-by-play guy. I mean, come on. You got to adjust the volumes. You got to adjust the levels, guys. You know if a goal scored, it's going to be loud. The crowd's going to erupt. The goal horn's going to go off. You got to be ready for it. Adjust the levels. Anyway, Knights win the game 4-1. to one. Shea Theodore had a goal and an assist for Vegas. Uh, Ryan Smith had two assists. Mark Andre Fleury, the flower, uh, 28 saves. Gold Knights dominated the game uh, from pillar to post, start to finish. They win by three goals. They snapped Montreal's win streak of uh, what was it, six game? Uh, no, how many, they had one. How many in a row? Is it six, six or seven going into last night? I think something like that. But they uh, take the one nothing series lead. Here is uh, Barry Melrose. On uh, the Golden Knights. I love everything about Vegas right yeah. now. The goaltending, how can you doubt that? They got a goaltender as a backup that most teams would love to have in their in their system. Absolutely. They're, they're just playing great hockey right now. They started sluggish, where Montreal had a couple yeah. good chances early in the game, didn't score, and once uh, Vegas got that first one, got the crowd behind them, they took off, and they were the best team by far the rest of the game. But again, fundamentals, they got to start winning draws, Montreal. You can't lose draws to a team like Vegas. Now, you heard Barry say they got the first goal, and they got the crowd into it. Something that Montreal hasn't, I guess, been used to lately because the Canadian government just started letting fans back in the hockey games, and it's only like 2,500. So the last home game that Montreal played at the Bell Center, there was 2,500 people. And that was just very recent. They had gone a full year, like all Canadian teams, playing in front of no fans. So they go from no fans to 2,500 to Vegas, a packed house, a crazy house. And I've said before, on my sports bucket list, I want to see a hockey game in Vegas because that looks like a grand old time. Did that big crowd, could it have affected Montreal in last night's game? Let's go back to Barry. I don't know how it could be a factor. You'd be charged. You'd be pumped. You got excitement in the building. We've been to that building. Yeah. That's unbelievable. That's the greatest spot if you're a sports fan in the world. Yeah. So I don't think that's an excuse for uh, Montreal. That's something they should just relish and love. They're used to playing in front of 2,500 people yeah. at the most. So I, I don't think that's an excuse. They just got beat by a better club. There you go. 
So it's not the crowd or anything. Vegas is just better. Uh, game two in Vegas tomorrow. That win streak, by the way, for Montreal was seven games in a row because they had uh, they had lost. They were down to Toronto three one in that series. Then they won the final three games to win it. Then they swept Winnipeg. So the Canadiens, they were playing great hockey. They'd won seven in a row before last night. Vegas snaps that streak. They have a one nothing series lead. The Islanders have a one nothing series lead over the defending cup champ Lightning. Game two of that series tonight in Tampa Bay. And as I told you when we talked about the game the other day, Lightning, they got to win tonight. They have to win tonight. And I know a series isn't over after two games. Just look at a lot of these playoff series. Oh, not you, Siri. Okay. No, no, no. Anyway, <laughs> happens all the time. Look at some of these NBA playoff series that were up, you know, somebody would win two games at home, then go on the road and lose the next two, right? In particular, we talk about the Nets and the Bucks. So, no, a series isn't over after two games. But when you lose those first two games at home and then have to go on the road for the next two, my that is a huge hill to climb. So Tampa does not want to fall into an 0-2 hole. I know it's obvious. It sounds obvious. And then have to go to the island for the next two. Because they could very well. I'm not saying the Islanders would sweep. But you lose the first two in Tampa, then have to go to the island for the next two, you're coming back home probably down 3-1. to Because you're not going to win both games in New York. I don't think so. So it is imperative. Not a must win. Not a must win. But my goodness, it's close for Tampa uh, to get that win tonight, to even that series at a game of pizza before it shifts uh, to New York. All right, uh, one final break, and then we're back to wrap up the show. Will my laptop be working by then? I highly doubt it. Stick around, 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD. This is the morning rush. Laptop still not working. I, I got a feeling I'm coming back tomorrow with a new laptop. Because it's this one's done. It's done. If you're just tuning in, first of all, where have you been? Like We're almost finished. Second of all, my laptop went dark 20 minutes into the show. And it, it hasn't come back yet. Like the startup repair has been running for over an hour, if not longer. Tried a system restore from a, a previous restore point. That failed. It's just, it's gone. If I lose, I'm telling you, I, I'm, I'm going to be devastated if I lose the stuff on this laptop. Because there's more than just work stuff. This is this is my personal laptop. I got pictures from like previous vacations. My son's graduate. I got so much stuff on here. If I lose it, I'm, if I lose it, I'm going to lose it. If you know what I mean. Uh, Major League Baseball, before we get out of here, expected to announce today that it will suspend players caught with any foreign substance uh, for 10 days with pay, because that'll show them, to help stop you know the widespread use of grip enhancers uh, by pitchers around the league. The league will reportedly send out a memo today just telling him, hey, get caught, 
10 days off with with pay. And we talked about this before, all this news coming out, you know, players using, you know, sunscreen and a rosin combination, spider tack, pelican grip. So baseball is trying to cut down on that kind of stuff. Because it it is it's rampant apparently. Some teams have already asked pitchers who relied heavenly, not heavenly, heavily. They're already throwing bullpen sessions without the grip enhancers to get ready until you know for after the memo. I mean, they know this. It has been against the rules in baseball forever. You cannot doctor a baseball. You can't. That's against the rules. Just like you can't take steroids, you can't do anything else. But nobody cares that these pitchers, I mean, they, all these managers, these teams know the pitchers have been doing it. They're having them throw bullpen sessions without the stuff to get used to the change. Two general managers told ESPN that teams recently received reports from Major League Baseball of pitchers on their team who had been caught using the substances. So like Major League Baseball knows. They know. They've known forever that these pitchers were using all these substances and they're just now getting around to cracking down on them. That, that blows me away. It baffles me that Major League Baseball, they knew that all of these pitchers all that were breaking the rules, their own rules, about using foreign substances, and they just kind of let it go. And the only reason why it's kind of, you know, come to light, has come to the surface, is because finally some hitters started complaining about it. Because hitting has been down in Major League Baseball. Overall, the average is the worst it's ever been. And you still have guys, we played the, the clip from Pete Alonzo last week from the Mets, saying that, you know what? I really don't care. I'd rather have a 99-mile-per-hour fastball coming my way and the guy knows where it's going. Because, the you know, the grip enhancers obviously give him more control. But now they're starting to get into this, you know, industrial glue and the spin rotation. Now the guys can't hit them. So now they're starting to complain about it. Somebody, and forgive me, I can't remember off the top of my head. It might have been actually it might have been Max Scherzer, not I think who's on the uh, the the uh, uh, rules committee. Uh, but don't quote me on that. I think it was Max said. You know what? If, if this is the way baseball wants to go, if baseball has known forever that all of these pitchers were using the substance to help with the spin rotation, then make one legal. Pick one. I'm not saying make a spider tack or, you know, Paula Dent or whatever. But just take one substance, make it legal, and then be done with it. Be done with it. Say, all right, you guys, you pitchers, if it helps give better control, better command, you know, you don't want spin rates off the chart, but if it helps you a little bit, if it helps you get the ball over the plate, 
Okay, you can use this. You can use, I don't know, just uh, pick something. I don't know. Elmer's glue. <laughs> you can use uh, construction paper paste from first grade, which smelled great, by the way. Tasted awful. You can use that, but nothing else. And we won't crack, you know, give them a little something. Since, they, since they've been getting away with it anyway, since Major League Baseball has been knowingly letting them get away with it, I can't wait to see if this changes anything. I can't wait. And apparently, next um, this coming Monday, the 21st, is when the umpires start checking the pitchers and other players. I think that's Monday. That starts. Then anything after that, if a pitcher gets caught, they get suspended 10 days with pay, which is garbage. I can't wait to see if offenses actually get better, if that's been one of the main reasons why offense in baseball has been just really terrible. I blamed it on everybody trying to hit home runs, launch angle, all that crap. That's what I blamed it on because hitters can't hit anymore. It's just home run or strikeout, which I still think, I still believe that's mainly the case. But I can't wait to see after a month, two months after this is you know put into place, if we actually see averages start to go up, right? Runs start to go up. Since now, finally, pitchers are being forced <laughs> to pitch on the up and up and not cheat. So we'll see if that memo is indeed uh, passed out today to all the teams. Remember, tonight, Pirates-Nationals game two of their three-game set. Pre-game at 6.35. Catch you right here on this very station. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day. Amanda Manga and Tri-State today is up next. I'll be back tomorrow, probably with a new laptop. 6 a.m. Sharpest is the morning rush. I am Tony C. and I am done. Bye.